Welcome, 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 everyone. We wouldn't have a rock star panel if we started right on time, so we are getting getting it kicked off a couple of minutes late. Uh, my name is Lucas Walker with Gorgeous, the number one help desk for e-commerce. Thank you to everyone joining live. Let us know in the chat box where you're joining from, uh, but because you probably answered that question already on every other webinar you've been at in the last couple of weeks. Let us know as well sort of who you want, who you're most from or what you want us to really uh, hit on the, the topic of today's webinar is how uh, a dollar of acquisition is worth 10 cents of, of retention. And what that really means is why are you spending $60 to acquire a customer and feeling really happy about it when you could be getting that same sale from an existing customer for say $6 and just getting so much more more profit at the, uh, the end of the day because as sexy as a low cost to acquire a customer is, Having a lot more profit in the bank is always uh, the what I like to see on the scoreboard. So I'm going to turn it over to the panel now, starting clockwise from me, Jay, then Rich, then Kevin, and Derek. If you want to wrap it up while everyone is sharing, sort of where they're from. We got Juan JC at Safa, Seattle, right? Mexican, Mexican, Mexico-based. Uh, thanks, guys. All the best vibes. Thanks, Juan. Jay, do you want to kick it off and uh, introduce yourself and Bold Commerce? Sure. Hey, hey guys. Thanks everyone for joining. I'm uh, Jay Myers. I'm one of the founders at Bold, um, Bold Commerce, and um, you know, Bold does. We do a lot of things, uh, everything from subscriptions and upselling and membership programs, loyalty programs. Um, we've got a suite of different products that help stores sell more. Awesome. Rich. Ah, thanks, Juan. <laughs> Richard, oh, you're up. Uh, we got David. We got Juan sharing some love for for Bold Commerce. We got Brian from uh, East Bay. Rich, do you want to go ahead and uh, introduce yourself? Yeah, my name is Rich Devine. Uh, I'm with Route. Uh, I run partnerships and um, and global alliances at Route. We uh, we offer shipping protection and visual tracking for your orders and then we can do that across the planet across any carrier and really excited to be here with 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 you guys and uh and join the discussion awesome thank you thank you and uh actually derek do you want to go next sure derek haney i am the chief e-commerce technologist at ecommercetech.io it's a made-up title that just means I help uh, e-commerce teams, merchants understand the vast technology landscape, which includes all of your guys' tools, which I love. Uh, and so that's that's my role is sitting down with um, with CEOs or, or teams looking through their entire stack, all the apps they're using, making sure they're using them to the fullest, and then giving some suggestions on what to use next or how to integrate something like a loyalty or retention tool uh, or a buy now pay later tool or a help desk and, and what that means for their business and when they should actually implement it and when they shouldn't and all that good stuff. Awesome, and Kevin, you are up. Not Kevin Wild from uh, the Bill Simmons era Half-Baked Ideas podcast, but Kevin Wild of Sizzle. Close second place. Uh, yeah, it's great to be here. Uh, thanks for the introduction. Yeah, so my name is Kevin Wild. I'm the uh, head of e-commerce partnerships here at Sezzle. So Sezzle is an online payment platform uh, that allows shoppers to pay for their orders through four small installment payments spread over six weeks, rather than paying the, uh, the full amount at once. Um, we're 100% free to shoppers who don't charge interest, uh, negatively affect credit scores, anything like that. Awesome. So thank you so much. And I'm just going to put a little poll in here. Let us know uh, which of the panelists' tools you're, you're using. You can choose more than one. Let us know uh, who has customers in here. Uh, we've got Brian and Aaron, a few people all across the, the U.S. And Kevin and Jay, you guys used to work together, didn't you? We have, still have do. You, We're like uh, night traders on the stock market overnight. Jay <laughs> used to be my boss back in the day, actually. Yeah. Now, uh, now he's working for you. You've, you've usurped him. <laughs> Is it is is everything good, or are we going to have a little bit of a clash on uh, on the webinar? You tell me. All Kevin. good vibes. All good oh, yeah. vibes. No, 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 we're good. Oh, <laughs> everything was good on my end. It was. Yeah, yeah. No, uh, no. Perfect. So, um, no, I love that. It's always good when partners work together as much fun okay. as it is to to sort of have a little bit of beef. But what we really want to talk about is uh, say there are some things like why every store needs to think sort of more like membership programs or like the Amazon Primes at Costco memberships, how to really reclaim ownership of that post-purchase experience from, from when that order happens to the doorstep. We think about all this stuff that happened before, 
but not always uh, after to make it really, really strong. And then really uh, using technology to increase your customer lifetime value of the um, of your store. So um, I know that everyone sort of had their 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 pitch or sort of their what you'll learn statement. I think it'll be best if we all work together and almost to do a round robin. So I'll start this first question off for you, Derek. But we've seen a few different um, different topics, but everyone, it seems like in the last three months, everyone's talking about retention and copywriting. Why are we seeing everyone talk about uh, retention, retention, retention? So I'll kick it off to you, Derek. And if anyone wants to chime in with that, we'll, uh, we'll go around the panel. Yeah, and, and I think Jay can attest to the idea that retention has been a concept that's been around for a very long time, right? It, and it's it exists. Uh, it's what I really think is interesting is that in SaaS you care a lot about retention. All the high-valued SaaS tools have you know zero percent churn, negative churn. They have really strong retention on their platform. Think about Facebook. It wouldn't be a multi-billion user platform if people didn't use it again tomorrow, right? And so retention is definitely a concept that's been around for a while. In e-commerce, though because of the, the rise of e-commerce, maybe 10, 15, even 20 years ago, and the rise of drop shipping as well in the past, you were able to get away with kind of a market inefficiency where there was a huge opportunity for uh, innovations in Facebook advertising and Google advertising. And so if you could just get the product into somebody's hand, you could acquire them for cheap and you would, and their lifetime value would be higher and therefore profit. Right. And when people are making money, they don't necessarily stop to optimize for additional profit. They're not looking for an additional advantage. They're just happy. Why would you? If I have a machine that gives me a hundred dollars every time I put ten dollars into it, I'm just like cranking in my ten dollar bills as as much as I can, and yeah. hopefully finding more more of those machines. I'm and, and then the question, yeah, and and everyone's got a limited amount of time and resources. But with that machine, what they what people were just kind of blind to because they had a working business was that they could have put ten dollars in and got you know, $150 out, right? Just they could have squeezed the juice a little bit better if they had spent more time thinking about how to keep customers, how to keep customers happy and how to sell again to them over and over. Now, that being said, I would even argue that the another reason people didn't focus on retention in the past was that they didn't really care about the product experience. They cared about the transaction. And so now we see with increase in market efficiency, right? We're seeing more competitors in more markets and uh, and it's easier to enter into e-commerce than ever before, thanks to all of your guys' tools. We know that the, the competition is fierce. Facebook ads, uh, aside from COVID uh, ad prices fluctuating a lot, has it's reached an equilibrium and, and uh, same with Google, which means we're in red ocean territory. And as you move to red ocean, you're forced to to look at more opportunities to improve margin, improve profitability. And that's why people are now turning towards retention, even though they should have been focused on a long time ago because it could have made them money uh, a lot sooner. <laughs> awesome. So I'll just kick it off to the uh, panel, either Jay, Rich, or Kevin. What do you have to add to that? So really, why are brands shifting to, to retention now? Yeah, I'd, I'd love to pop in there. Actually, I think there's two things going on. Number one, that we have to recognize the big elephant in the room, which is Amazon. I think, mm -hmm. I think over the last decade, Amazon has set a standard um, it for an area that was really blue ocean and 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 underserved by traditional retailers and e-commerce brands. And it's really a problem of ownership. Amazon said no one's really owning post-purchase because as a as a retailer and e-commerce brand we concede ownership to a carrier someone that's shipping it and if something goes wrong that's not our problem that's ups problem or usps problem but mm -hmm. amazon said no we're going to take responsibility for that and kind of collectively as as a collective base of consumers we've all become inured and um and used to that as a standard and whether we like it or not as e-commerce brands, we have to live in a world where that standard is being imposed upon us and it's a problem of ownership. And we now have to accept ownership for what happens after an order has been submitted and that button has been clicked and what happens between that moment and when stuff arrives in my hands. 
And that's that's the challenge we face collectively. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I, I mean, Amazon's got a, a bit of an sort of an advantage that they they kind of pass the buck of that on to their sellers mm -hmm. in the same way that Costco can, you know, offer return two years later, but the vendor who sells the product is the one that has to replace it. So Amazon set that bar on the backs of their merchants, which in some ways is not really fair, but that is nonetheless what the bar is. It um, is. And it's it set customer expectations as well. The, the number one ticket request for customer support is, hey, where's my order? And Amazon's trained our internal clocks. Most people can't count, don't have a feeling for 10, day, 10 minutes in their head, but we all have that internal clock of, my order should really be here by now. Where, where is it? What's going, what's going on? Because we've been trained by Amazon to get things next day or within two to three, two to three days of it. Yeah, not to mention, I think they've also set the expectation for free shipping on all orders, which is obviously something that's pretty much become the industry norm in e-commerce these days. It and is, and it's billions funny. of dollars on that, but they can afford to, and it sets us, as Jay said, it's not a fair standard, but we we have to live by it. That's mm. the, the one with the gold makes the yeah. rules, unfortunately, and Amazon's got the uh, the e-commerce crown for for the time being. So here's a yeah, question I, for the panel, actually. Oh. Or go ahead, Rich. Finish up, and then I have a question. No, I was just going to say, do we think that there will ever be another Dollar Shave Club or almost an overnight brand that can get so big so quickly or because it's so easy for anyone to spin up? Are we going to see more of the regionalized versions where somebody starts um, that the first fancy sock company and then now everyone can spin it off and find suppliers and get up and running so quickly? Do we think that we will see another organically grown multi-billion dollar uh, e-commerce brand kickoff like we saw with dollar shape club i think yes and i think you're going to see a lot of them <laughs> i think yeah. uh uh i think i think i mean we're in the in the i can in the subscription space which is what dollar shave club club was um what the the valuation they got was what software SaaS companies got i mean at the time that they sold to a billion for to unilever they were doing around a hundred million a year and they sold for a billion. So they got a, like they got a 10 X multiple on top line revenue. And that's just like unheard of. Usually for e-commerce, e it's usually a multiple of EBITDA, which is like earnings before, before interest, interest taxes. Taxes and what's the other one? Deferred, yeah. Anyways, yeah. it's like it's like the portion left over after all your expenses, and then it'll be a two to three times multiple on that. So if you did a million dollars a year, and your EBITDA was twenty percent, you have a company worth roughly six hundred grand. But that subscription company, in, anyways, was worth 10 x top line revenue. Um, I think the thing that the Dollar Shave Club got right that these big brands like have a hard time emulating is if you take a step back, like at the end of the day, what you're really selling is you're selling a relationship and, and they built, they built a brand and like the word brand is overused, but it is so important because what you're selling, you have to get out of your head that you're selling a product. You're not selling a product. Like it was a razor is a dinky little razor. Honestly, like it wasn't really anything special. I mean, go on Reddit, com slash wicked edge they say i can't remember the name of the brand that they're just private labeling there's no difference between a dollar shave club razor and this uh, this other brand it's literally the exact same blades and it's a, it's that way with watches it's that way with deodorant it's that way with like when you buy like you're buying the brand you're not actually buying the product um and i think that's i think that's hard to do so i i don't think you know to say there's going to be like a ton spun up, I actually think it's it's very hard to actually build that strong of a brand because it it it's real true. Like you can't fake it. Like you can spin up dropship stores and but you're not building that brand. You're selling products. So, um, anyways, my opinion is yes, there'll be lots, but I don't think I don't think it's super easy to do. It's it's, it's a lot of hard work. Yeah, I just I think there will be more industries overnight, but um, I think acquisitions will happen a lot quicker. And I think that 
um, like sunglasses, for example, if there was um, boxes, it's just because the business model is so proven now, I think it'll take someone to, to really break through and have a totally another business model. And I just dropped another poll in the chat. What does the D in EBITDA stand for? Is it debt, defunct, or depreciation? So go ahead, let us know what you think it is, and we'll reveal the answer at the end of the pod, at the uh, end of the episode. One so month I, free of uh, Sezzle if you get yeah, that right. One month free Sezzle, <laughs> yeah. uh, one month free route, one month free bold, and three months free gorgeous. Kevin personally set it up. For oh, you. Sean's got it. Sean wins a three free months free gorgeous. You email um, me, I'll make it happen. Yeah. All right. So I think it's harder than ever. I, I think that, you know, that that the, the D2C model, it's it's been commoditized a little bit. I think some of the, the big forces like an Amazon um, taking advantage of really great ideas and, you know, leveraging some of their, some of their economic weight um, makes it a challenge. But one of the things that I, I think um, is really critical for smaller brands or D2C brands is really getting a handle on your first party data. I think that there's a premium on knowing who your customer is and customers um, today are they they're looking at brands and as as tribes being part of a tribe and so it's it's more than just a brand it's it's knowing who your customer is who your segment is and giving them an opportunity to become part of your tribe and there's a level of stickiness that I think D2C brands are able to provide that a bigger behemoth like an Amazon or a Walmart isn't able to replicate. And that's that's really a proposition of getting a handle on who your customers are and making really good decisions about um, you know, brand deployment and messaging and and what we're talking about today, which is the entire customer journey, especially what happens post-purchase. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I mean, we could probably harp on it all day, but look at a KitchenAid stand mixer versus just stand mixers in your kitchen. And you're, you're so loyal to that brand that you're willing to pay three or four times more than, say, the Cuisinart or the Breville, which are great brands in their own right, but just... Um, everyone seems to to gravitate to that and that's why they can charge so much so much more um and so there's a question for both kevin uh kevin and jay because subscriptions and sort of buy now pay later are really quite similar if you're thinking of dollar shave club maybe you're buying uh a nice razor and a year supply of blades and you're breaking down that payment either every month as it's shipped out or uh you get everything shipped out and then you're buying now paying later so both in both instances the credit card is being charged multiple times. Now, obviously, uh, subscriptions and buy now, pay later aren't the same thing, but there are some some overlaps there. So I know that um, that Jay, that obviously like Bull is huge in the subscription space, one of the OGs. I know it's like a really obvious way uh, to retain, but not every store really needs subscriptions. So I'd love to hear some thoughts on how uh, non-consumable stores can can do that. And then Kevin, I'd love to, for you to, to chime on with some of the ways that maybe uh, a buy now pay later, maybe a, a way to do that or an, al an alternative way, maybe, maybe a better way, or maybe when it's not the way to do it. Yeah, for sure. I had, I mean, this is a topic near and dear to my heart. And I, so whether or not you're a subscription store, I think there are key aspects that a subscription store innately gets right that I think stores that even if they're not subscription stores that they need to emulate the biggest thing and just we're talking about it a little bit but subscription stores by their nature are really good at selling their brand and the reason why they have to do that is because you're when you subscribe to something it's a it's a it's a much bigger investment you're you're saying i want this product and i want it every month um and when they survey customers who subscribe um they are there they have they they feel their their affinity to that brand is much stronger than when they buy a one-time product like as an example i've purchased things uh and i a week later it hasn't shown up and i actually forgot the company i ordered it from which which seems absurd but i've done it i've googled for a product like <laughs> a tool i needed and you ever it. order a bunch of stuff um like maybe you move or something or with covid and you order a bunch of stuff from different suppliers and the, the it all comes in like a fedex or canada post box and you're thinking 
I, w- I wonder what's in my uh, mailbox roulette today. Yeah. And, and honestly, like it rattled my brain because I ordered this pipe wrench and I couldn't remember who I ordered it from. And I searched my email and then anyways, like, but that doesn't happen with subscriptions. You're, you're buying into like, it happens probably, it's probably very, very unlikely if zero that all of a sudden you're getting something once a month. You're like, well, I, you don't remember who you ordered from. So um, subscription companies have to get that right. And I think even if you're not selling subscriptions, if you think what is the, what are the other benefits that you offer other than your product? If you just said for a second, put your product aside, whatever you're selling, whatever it is, scrap that for a second, completely forget about that. What is the other value that you're adding to your customers? What story are you telling them about how your product's made about the values your company has, like the process you have in, in packaging it in charities you support and how your companies run. Um, they need to know your story and in that sense, you need to think like, like you're selling a membership. Like they're, they're like, to your point, it's a tribe, like they're buying into that tribe mentality and there's tangible ways you can do that too. It doesn't just have to be like philosophical. Like what's your, what's your viewpoints on which, what charities, like a portion of it goes to, you can actually make them a member because they buy a product. You can actually give them access to certain sections on your website. You can give them access to certain content when you, uh, because someone buys from you, when you have a new product come out, give them advanced access before other customers. So you can make customers feel like they're a member and you don't have a subscription offering. That's fine. 100% free returns, give them discounted pricing. Like we have an app customer pricing. It does, does that. It's like, you can give a five or 10% VIP pricing after a customer spends X amount. So they're, they're a member They're They're, um, so how do you make your, make your customers feel that they're a member and that they're buying your brand, even if you're selling a one-time product and that will be huge for your retention. And I'll if you have you a product you can subscribe to by all means offer a subscription, but not everyone does. So no. there's a new denim jacket brand out there called venom V N I M. And they, Great uh, name. they sell a $300 denim jacket, uh, using recycled denim and all that. And it's like a great jacket. Then they created their membership program. They sell little badges that you can put on the jacket and they give those out monthly. So that's part of the membership model. It's a lot cheaper than the jacket and it just keeps you involved with the brand so that you can keep the connection going. And then you're not going to buy that jacket you know, every month, but maybe mm-hmm. a year from now, two years from now, or maybe you'll just tell a friend where you got it from because you're wearing it, right? And so mm-hmm. it increases virality. It could even be a loss like leader membership program. You know, you could lose uh, on the shipping probably is where you'll lose the money on that $5 a month subscription to get those badges out to people. But who cares? You've got the customer for life. Yeah. And every point of contact, like I just, it was father's day last weekend. So I got a few Yeti coolers and Yeti mugs and Oh, so nice. a few like Yeti a coolers. That's like, no, sorry, no, sorry, not, not coolers. Like father of the year. When I get you a Corvette for the same price, Jay, the drink coolers. Come on. I know what you mean. I, I love uh, Yeti products. <laughs> We're going to see, I'll, I'm going to compare it against my wife's corksicle and we're going to have an ice off, see which one. <laughs> um, but so the first thing you do is you open it up and it tells you the story of Yeti. And, and then if you send in their, their warranty card, they send you a decal pack for your, for your car, your truck or your whatever. Um, and everyone, an, every, an exclusive way to turn into a Yeti billboard. You exactly. pay them to sell, to, to display their ads. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I don't think I've actually ever seen a commercial for Yeti, like, but I know everyone knows about it, right? It's, I mean, there, that's a great example of a brand. Well, and it's like, like the CEO of Red Bull when they said, oh, uh, CEO of Red Bull, why are you charging twice as much than Coca-Cola for the, for less product? And he goes, well, if I cha- charge the same price, how would anyone know that it's better? And it's <laughs> yeah. almost that marketing of, no, we're not going to advertise our products are so good. You'll, you'll spread the word, but even the details of when you're unboxing a Yeti and it says, uh, in your cooler, great for root beer floats, uh, day drinking at the beach, just all kinds of cool, fun uses and getting more out of it. And I think that's a good segue for the, a, the subscription side of things that, well, you know what, uh, become a subscriber for just a dollar. So you're constantly opted in. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you get say drink recipes or whatever it is that you can do with your Yeti cooler. Um, so that could be a subscription for Yeti, but at the same time, to transition to you, Kevin, because of Yeti, uh, especially the big like $1,000 Yeti coolers for going to the beach, uh, 
prime, prime example of sort of a, a buy now, pay later. So it's been, uh, I know that it's been really popular as of late. It's been around forever in the infomercial space, uh, three easy payments or four easy payments of 1995. Can you talk us a little bit more about the trend of uh, buy now, pay later and why it's really skyrocketed so, so much? Yeah, certainly. I think kind of going off of what Jay said, you know, we're we're seeing that purchasing trends and you know consumer behavior has really changed over the past five, ten years. You know, um, like like Jay mentioned, you know, I think consumers and shoppers are much more willing to share their experiences with products, promote products they love, more so than they used to. And obviously, there's a lot of mediums and channels like Instagram and social media, which makes it easy for them to do that. From our perspective at, at Sezzle, we've noticed that uh, a trend changing in how people want to pay. Um, we've seen a really reduction in the amount of young shoppers that are able to pay with credit cards or uh, a lot of other payment uh, methods. Uh, we also live in a world where more consumers use digital payment apps than traditional banking apps, which is crazy because I still use my banking app what, quite a bit. What's a, di what's a di digital uh, payment app just for, for everyone, but also uh, in Canada, to my knowledge, we don't have Venmo. We do a lot of email money transfers, which uh, Derek and Rich probably have no clue what I what I just said. So can you elaborate into sort of the digital payment apps for versus credit card processing for everyone? Yeah. So when I say digital payment services, I'm talking about like a PayPal app, right? Um, mm -hmm. Maybe a Square Cash app, um, apps mm -hmm. like Sezzle, really any apps that you can use to manage funds that are outside, you know, or linked to your bank account. So people are using these apps more so than they're using bank services these days, which is crazy. Um, we really, we recently did a study with the generation for um, young consumers and we found that just vast majority of them were looking to solutions like installments uh, because they're having trouble getting credit. And a lot of them don't even really want to get credit because they've seen this has happened with their grandparents and their parents with credit cards and interest and fees and that sort of thing. So that's kind of why we've seen the trend and in, in pick up a buy now, pay later, because it is really a pro-consumer payment method. It allows people to split things over time sustainably rather than taking a credit card and spending a bunch of money on it, working up a big balance and then having to figure out how to make those payments paid off and, and manage the interest payments. This is a way for young consumers to build their credit, to make sustainable payments in a, in a way that allows them to also increase their buying behavior. So for merchants, um, I know pay later allows people to buy products that otherwise they wouldn't have, um, but at the same time, not putting them in spots where they're going to get interest charged or they're going to get, you know, taken to collections, that sort of thing. So um, we've seen a huge pickup in these sort of services. And I think, you know, like we talked about with young consumers, it's important to know who your customers are, what they're looking for, uh, because if you don't offer these sort of services or you aren't able to offer them, you know, the ways that they're looking to pay, you might not be able to acquire or retain those customers. Yeah. And so um, another question on that for um, a brand perspective, what's the impact for the brand when they offer um, buy now, pay later solutions? Is it I've heard that average order value goes up, uh, but you probably have a lot uh, better details up to to what happens with that. And the example that I always use is what's well, not just necessarily a higher ticket item that you're breaking the payment up. It's a higher cart value that makes it a lot easier to buy the, the whole package now. So do you want to talk a little bit to uh, to that with a brand per perspective of what happens with a, a buy now, pay later option? Yeah, you know, when a merchant typically installs Sezzle, we usually see it used about 15% of all transactions within a few months. So it really picks up steam quite quickly. And average order values often increase over 15%. And one of the actual cool things as well is we see a massive decrease in returns, um, which we kind of felt strange at first, but I think it makes sense from the perspective of since people have a you know sustainable, responsible way to make their payments and pay for larger ticket items, they're less liable to you know getting an item in the mail, realizing, man, I just got my credit card statement. It's really expensive. Maybe I should return this. Maybe I don't need this. Versus you know being on a buy now pay later solution where it's split you know over time when they can make their make their payments. So yeah, we've seen a, a you know an incredible uptick for for merchants in both you know average order value decrease in returns and improve uh, conversion rates i think the the biggest change is you know when we looked at traditional like loans um you know usually they came with a lot of um you know paperwork signatures to do credit checks to do that sort of stuff there's a lot of complexity around it and lots of times you know merchants might have been you know didn't feel right about doing it because they thought maybe the consumers and the shoppers were going to get um you know negatively affected in some way and it would reflect you know poorly upon their brand with this push into you know installment buy now pay later um solutions 
it's been really kind of upending the finance industry because we're no longer charging interest. We're really being pro-consumer. Um, we're letting them, you know, do what's right for them rather than trying to tax them on, on the ways that they need to pay. Yeah, I know. I think that's really useful. And I didn't even think of uh, the return aspect because it's not just the cost of the shipping label. You've lost your cost of goods sold. Uh, you're, if you don't do that return, uh, it, it, it kind of that kind of sucks. And I think that's a really good transition to you, Rick, um, for something that I know that we wanted to talk about, which is, I think that there are really two questions here is, um, A, how do brands compete with Amazon and their level of post-purchase customer support, but also how has uh, that buyer experience shifted from once they click that that buy button or that add to cart button. And I think that uh, Amazon is a behemoth in the room that's had such a big impact on it. So I'd love to hear, first of all, you're taking an open up to the panel of how e-commerce brands can compete with Amazon's level of post-purchase support, whether it's just knowing where an order is or having the customer support staff uh, to get back onto, which is a good time for me to plug Gorgeous and share some of the ways that we're helping merchants compete with Amazon. But then also how that whole add to cart journey or post add to cart button experience has changed in the past few years. Yeah, I'll, I'll take a spin at that. I think, I think first and foremost, if you're an e-commerce brand, it's deconstructing what that, what that last third, um, that last phase of, of the customer journey looks like. And so once an order is submitted, there's that first mile, which is communication between the customer and the brand and making sure that um, expectations that the customer have has in terms of um, knowing where your order is, what the status of that order is, um, expectations in terms of delivering timing. Um, there are services out there that are, that are low cost. Um, you know, we, we offer some of those services here on the panel um, and then continuing on to that kind of final third um, and, and the last mile. And so, you know, at Route, that's one of the things that we're really interested in, in trying to provide a solution for. Um, we, we offer shipping protection. Um, it's a free service to merchants, but it provides that same level of assurance that a customer has if they're ordering something from Amazon without the merchant having to uh, sacrifice 30% of their soul to Jeff Bezos. Mm -hmm. So that, that more than that, that when you consider your advertising or, fees, or as more well. than that, yeah. more, it's more than 30%, yeah. my friend. <laughs> <laughs> well stated. Um, but yeah, and, and then, you know, there's, there's, uh, there's other services like returns. I think the <laughs> the ease and convenience and generosity in terms of returns, that's another part of that deconstructed stack. And, Derek, I think you've got a really good handle on what some of those components are, but understanding what's available and then building that, that stack in terms of the, the final third um, is really crucial. Uh, and again, it's about meeting uh, customer expectations. If you consider that 94% of customers will blame the retailer if something goes wrong with their shipment, whether it was the should. retailer's fault. I've just given money to that retailer for a good or service. Yeah. The, that business's logistics, if they want me to get involved and care about that, they can pay me to consult. I'm just, I want to tap a couple buttons on my phone and get my product. Yeah, they've invested in your brand. And, and as, an, as a brand, you have to recognize that they've invested in you. It's time to invest in them. And Again, look at look at Amazon. They've they've got the equation right. They know that if they invest money or if they invest their merchants' money um, in that kind of that post purchase experience, it's so much more efficient than trying to reacquire a customer again after a poor experience has been experienced by the customer. Yeah, and this is where I think e-commerce can learn from SaaS because in SaaS you have you know the pirate metrics, the AARRR funnel, very popularized in the, in the SaaS ecosystem and technology Ac acquisition, activation, retention, referral revenue. Activation is is this phase that brings people into retention, and when you sell the product, what is going on in the customer's mind is they're actually taking a leap of faith and giving out their money in exchange for the promise that they'll get value later. And from that moment until the moment they receive the value, you have this opportunity to kind of 
nurture them into the value they're about to receive. And then you should also, by the way, double check and make sure they receive that value. And so this whole activation process, it, which route definitely helps with a lot, like it's tracking the order, it's activating in maybe a loyalty tool in the back end dashboard. It's posting to social media when I get the product, uh, giving feedback or a review, any customer service inquiries that I may have with the team to make sure that I know how to use it right. That little insert card for Yeti, which is really simply just saying, you might not know all the ways you can use this product. Let me help you so that you get more value from it. And in that way, I don't think about it as the last third. I think activation is the first step in building the customer relationship. You acquisition got you trust and a little bit of money, but activation sends you on the path to retention, which gets you the customer for life, which is the only way we're going to win. Preach yeah, there. It's an interesting point. Yeah, preach. Yeah, it's an interesting If we were preach. on a stage oh. and not socially distant, distant, the like we, we wouldn't be talking right now because there, there would be a <laughs> hugging you right here. Like, well said. Right. Well Thanks, said. Virtual Blake. hug. I learned, <laughs> I learned something on there. Eric. <laughs> you know what? You I know mean, what? It's interesting. Go ahead. If you consider all of the dollars that are spent across the customer journey, what percentage of your of your overall annual budget is spent in acquisition or point of purchase on your site compared to what happens after? And uh, it, you know, perfect, it's there's perfect. some skew there in terms of ROI. Well, think about it too. Um, they just released it. But how many brands, if you were to go and look in your Google Analytics, other than a product page, I bet your about us page is really, really high up there, maybe some sort of policy page and a 404 page. And how many brands are using those places to hit home the message or even that post-purchase email? Everybody checks that order confirmation email. Uh, they're looking for, they go in to check it to check their shipping status. Why not have some sort of a call to action there, even if it's not even that, that's off, but hey, join our loyalty program, join join our community, do something uh, to, with that valuable real estate. And the answer is not nearly enough because everyone is so focused on just getting people to to hit that, that buy button or that add to cart button. Um, and I know that we went on a couple of, of different directions there. Uh, Rich, do you have anything else to add there to how that, that customer journey has changed post hitting that add to cart button? Because I think that that's really, that's almost a demarcation point. It isn't purchase. It's sort of the, the pre add to cart button and then post add to cart um, button. So was there anything else that you wanted to add into that before we jump to uh, another topic here? Yeah, no, I mean, I think it's there. That's the point. There's that. There's a couple of moments that I think we think are important as a as a merchant, um, but there's the moment where they buy, and so mm -hmm. there, that real estate's really valuable. You know, Sezzle, you're you're trying to um, have a position there in that in that kind of cart and checkout real estate. We are as well. We want we want customers to have an opportunity to protect their shipment from loss, theft, and damage. But then there's that moment when they get the stuff in their hand, and I would argue um, or debate that that may be the most important moment across the customer journey is when they get it, and they have an opportunity to to experience a, a you know a, a dopamine rush, and and have the thrill of that engagement with the brand. And so, what do we do with that moment? Or is there a moment of engagement? And and that's something that. You know, we're we're trying to explore not just on the protection side, but offering the free route visual tracking app, so that we know uh, where your where your stuff is, where it is mm -hmm. along the the course of a journey or a shipment in terms of being able to visually track that, but also when when it's received, and then giving that let that a degree of intelligence to brands so that they they can uh, assert a relationship and not just concede ownership to FedEx or UPS or any of the other carriers. I would add, because I like route a lot, the that return process that you have that's like five steps, really easy to click through, um, that streamlines that experience so much more, so much better than sending an email to a contact at address, waiting a day, sorry for, for gorgeous, but if we can avoid sending the ticket in the first place, you know, it's, it's way faster yeah. and better. <laughs> oh, absolutely. That, but you know what? That's what we're we're all about is the worst case scenario 
uh, for a customer, or I shouldn't say worst case, or but a horrible scenario for customers. I order something. My internal clock that Amazon's trained me to do says my order should be here. I contact that brand, and either they're inundated, they don't care about support, it's the weekend for whatever reason. I don't get hear back from them in a short period of time, and then the product arrives, and then I get a response. Well, you know, checking into it, it looks like your product has already arrived. If you can be proactive about that and show them where their product is through the the route app or any other or or another method but i mean right you guys do a phenomenal phenomenal job of it um why would you not do that and just have a better experience for for your customer i think that contacting customer support when you talk about what a customer enjoys about that brand relationship that's not going to be on a top 10 list of things that they want to do because yes, it's so it's, reactive good point yeah, it's this interesting idea of friction. Traditionally, brands have intentionally tried to create friction mm -hmm. to avoid cost, right? And yep. now that you know, we're trying to shift shift things a little bit where we want to eliminate friction, which is the whole idea of a one-click claims process. Can't find my order. My order was stolen. One click, we replace or reorder the, the product just like Amazon does. And again, I have to give credit to them for understanding and flipping, um, flipping a dynamic that had become normalized um, in the e-commerce space where, you know, brands were trying to create friction as a, as a way to, uh, a, you know, save on cost. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I think uh, Derek, since you, oh, during, uh, well, just during the time when Amazon had that, um, whatever they call that, like push back on non-essential products. So that for, for a brief period, yeah. like anything that wasn't an essential product, it would take a month to get. Um, yeah. But also so, if you were selling hats or sunglasses, you couldn't restock your inventory in Amazon. Right. They were actually stopping you from being able to send more inventory. So whatever you had in stock, that was in your customers ranking prime shipping. It was just a major hassle. If you weren't selling gloves, masks or hand sanitizer for, for that, well, there was this brief period, period that March. people who like, and I, I try to not shop on Amazon as much as possible, but there are some things that are just convenient that I get on there. And then during that time, I noticed, oh, it's going to be a month. So I, I, I'm actually in the last like two months, I don't think I bought anything on Amazon. It's been every other store, but um, it's actually blown me away how, how little right a lot of stores get the operational aspects that, that like everything from like, the way the box comes poorly taped, um, yeah, one email order confirmation and that's it. And like, Derek, you were bang on, like um, from a software standpoint, like you onboard a customer, there's a whole series of emails. Like there's no, there was, there's no onboarding. Um, there's a, there's a brand that I ordered from the other day. They're called, they're, they use our subscriptions app. They're called Kenko. It's K-E-N-C-K-O. I, anyways, they, um, they are a couple software developers that started a fruit drink. Like they basically turn fruit into powder and then you mix it. And, uh, but they are software developers who started this subscription company and they approach it a hundred percent like a software company. And it reminded me, Derek, when you were talking about that, like they get onboarding the second you order it, you get an email every day and it's like, here's what to expect. Oh, by the way, here's the history. Here's the video of how we turn these fruits and vegetables into powder. Uh, in two days, you're going to get it. Here's what, here's how you're going to start feeling. It's just like, and by the time I get it, I was so, I was onboarded and I was, I was activated as a customer before I even tried it. Um, but it was interesting because they're software developers. So to your point, you really have to think like that, but that's amazing. That's that's awesome. A quick shameless plug. I'm doing another uh, webinar tomorrow with Val Geisler, who uh, she has a SaaS background and a lot of subscription background. I'll plug the link after. Just uh, it's going to be be pretty awesome. It's not even a webinar. It's a live recording of a podcast. But if you have a question for Val, I'll plug that link just because it ties into everything that we were just mentioning. And and Derek, uh, because you hit it out of the park a few a few moments ago, I really wanted to turn it back to you. So obviously, uh, Bold is great. Sezzle is great. Route is great and gorgeous is great. What are some other tools that merchants may not be aware of that they should be be using uh, that maybe just weren't even available to them that can really help with retention? So I don't know if uh, maybe top top three tools, Derek, and then we can all share a tool uh, in the Shopify ecosystem that that we really like. Let us know. And I also dropped another poll in just for fun because uh, I know I try to avoid Amazon as well, and it's interesting being in the 
uh, e-commerce ecosystem. Let us know if you if you do uh, try to avoid Amazon because they're evil, or if you you love them. So yeah, so Derek. I and uh, um, we haven't talked about bold loyalty at all yet. That's definitely because we're talking about retention and loyalty. So we, we need some form mm -hmm. of a loyalty tool. Actually, this is something I, I want to talk about when we're talking about subscriptions, building the brand relationship and those activation emails. Something that people should be doing today is collecting more data on their customers. And you can do this with brief micro surveys that are either on your website or in an email. And, and that email can actually mm -hmm. you know, map to basically a field in your CRM. And that can trigger all sorts of different personalizations, customizations, and flows for them. Um, I was talking with a a lingerie brand and I was, you know, looking at the site and, and, and like, okay, this is a women's lingerie, like pretty clear. And then the, the CEO says 70% of our buyers are men buying for their wives or significant others. And I'm like, oh, then you need to know if this is a male shopper or a female shopper right away, because they're going to have vastly different problems. And so, so thinking about like just holistically tools that can help with personalization, mm -hmm. segmentation. I actually love uh, Bold Brain, which creates cross-sells and upsells really in a really phenomenal way in bundling. Um, and then we can we can think about product recommendation tools. There's one that I really like that's kind of new out there called DataQ, which personalizes your homepage with certain banners based on browsing behavior. And that it's one of the only tools that I've seen that might personalize homepages or category pages to that unique buyer's experience. Because once they identify, for this lingerie example, as a man buying for a woman, you might want to show them more of the men's buyer's guide. You know, how, how do I find, make sure that the sizes are uh, right for my wife? Of course, there's going to be concerns about return policy, uh, about discretion, because I want to get the product and make sure that I get it so that I can give it to her as a gift, gift wrapping. And, and the list goes on. When it's a, a woman buying for herself, it's a lot, you know, clear and cut. They know what they're doing. Uh, I mean, at least as, as a man and, and we're, all, we're all guys here, like, I'm sure you would get lost, right? Like shopping around. I've had to do this a couple of times. It's, mm -hmm. And it's, it's like, so, so it's a different experience and therefore there should be a different customer experience on the site. So collecting data and personalization, not necessarily specific tools, um, but looking at those as an angle to your business and then investigating the tools that'll fit best. Hey Derek, can I give a, a really quick hack of a, a way to do that? Yeah. Um, so I actually learned this recording an episode of our podcast, but you can do that in Clavio or I don't know if other email marketing tools do it, but just ask a question with two images as buttons and say, hey, are you shopping for uh, using lingerie as an example, myself, my partner, mm -hmm. and then depending on how people click it, then you can sort of tailor that uh, that drip. And I also shamelessly plugged the the gorgeous podcast in the chat there, where there will be an audio version of the replay if you want to listen to us on a on a walk or a bike ride or something else. And I'll share the recording with all the panelists. So if you want to listen on on any of their content or on their channels, you can just go uh, go there as well. But you will be able to uh, get an audio version later later today. Sweet, I love that hack. Uh, and it's it's just a click. Yeah, a good hack. Very straightforward. It's one or the mm -hmm. other, and I bet you it increases conversion rate to email as well. So put that as step one. I'm shopping for myself. Oh, uh, here's a ten percent discount code. I'm shopping for somebody else. Oh, here's a ten percent discount code. You know, it can be the same oh, step. Well, so. It's so smart. Leading into Black Friday, it's almost that permission-based marketing where you're giving people permission to buy in another way. If let's say it's a, a coffee brand that's doing uh, coffee subscriptions on Bold and selling like a really nice mm -hmm. espresso maker uh, and doing buy now pay later with Sezzle, then maybe it's are you buying for yourself or a gift going into the holiday season? And people didn't even think to give a coffee subscription uh, or as that that gift. So I think that's uh, another really smart way to just warm your audience up into new ways of purchasing. So we really have one uh, one time or one last uh, bit of bit of time here, and I think that this is just a, a great question for everyone, Kevin. Uh, but really, why is it so important to give? Uh, merchants those multiple payment uh, payment methods for it. So going beyond just putting your credit card in, as we were sort of talking about before, and I think it's something that we can all sort of touch on as we we wrap up. Why is that so important to to have that as part of the the customer journey? I mean, I and think a question we, from sorry from and a question from David as well. Uh, maybe for you, Derek. What are some of the best apps for micro surveys on uh, on Shopify? 
Yeah, I mean, in terms of in terms of payment methods, I think obviously consumer buying behavior is changing a lot, and through COVID and what's happened these past few months, it's changed dramatically, right? And I think from a just a straight up technology perspective, if you're not consistently evaluating technologies, and this is kind of what Amazon does really well, obviously they're always testing and trying new things out. If you're not doing that, you might be missing out on a lot of customer acquisition or retention. I think when you know when e-commerce first started, a lot of people kind of expressed concern about giving their credit card information to so many merchants, right? And people didn't feel comfortable shopping online. And from that, PayPal was born. And in the beginning, you know, if you didn't adopt PayPal, you probably lost out on a lot of customers. Now, oh, for like PayPal sure. is- And I'm a yeah. merchant myself. Yeah. And when we were first going, I emailed all my abandoned carts manually. I mean, this is back in 2014, and it was a side hustle. So I was putting in probably more elbow grease than I needed to. But a lot of people were saying, oh, because you don't have PayPal, I didn't, I don't trust credit card processing. And that wasn't that long ago. So that was very recent. Um, so that's absolutely a big reason that customers want to pay the way uh, that, that they're paying. Um, and I think that that goes into sort of just different options as we, as we wrap it up. Jay, maybe going into sort of different offerings for your customers and Rich, uh, different offerings for, for shipping and Derek, just different offerings in general. Obviously, at, at Gorgeous, it's how your customers want to communicate with you. If you are advertising on Instagram and not replying to, to your ad comments or getting customers to opt into SMS and you're just trying to just jelly your advertisements down their throat, if you don't respond to their, their questions and don't help them out, they're not going to respond on that channel. So I think that uh, from a support standpoint, it's important to really offer your customers that choice to contact you where they want to contact contact you and be from. And I think that as we wrap up here, giving customers choices, Kevin, I'll let, uh, let you finish. I cut you off just a little bit there on that. And maybe go, we'll go Rich, Jay, uh, and Derek for a couple of minutes to just talk about customer choices and, and options and how uh, your tools can can benefit there. Yeah, no problem at all, Lucas. Yeah, I think, you know, like, like I was saying, I think you just have to, you know, monitor consumer behavior and, and consistently implement new technologies and, and A-B tests and test mm -hmm. them out. And, you know, to kind of finish off what I was saying, there was, you know, obviously PayPal is an example of that. And I think Sezzle's becoming a payment, you know, very similar to that where a lot of young consumers can't get credit cards and can't get approved for credit. So they're going to shops realizing that credit cards, you know, the only way for them to pay and aren't able to make that purchase. So at Sezzle, we're allowing people who can't get credit, who can't get approved, giving them access to a financing tool without any fees in a way that's going to help them build credit long term. Awesome. Yeah, I, you know, I, I think it's a really it's a it's a great time. It's an interesting time for e-commerce brands because of the, the the rising power of the platforms like Shopify and BigCommerce and Woo, really giving give, giving choice to merchants to be able to try um, install. Um, be really nimble with services. Um, I'm really excited about something that Jay has, which is uh, uh, Bold Cashier, which is a, a mm -hmm. checkout option that's available on Shopify. We've got a partner with, partnership with them. Um, we're able to deploy route in five to seven minutes um, on Shopify or some of the other platforms and excited to see what that looks like in combination with Bold's Cashier app. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's just an example of, again, the agility that merchants are able to kind of install and implement new and interesting services and find that right stack for them that again doesn't just service the the you know the acquisition phase of the of a customer journey um, but looks at the entire customer journey point of purchase and of course and of course post purchase Absolutely. And I think that uh, something you just hit on is something that we as, as e-commerce professionals just take for granted far, far too often is that you can have two apps made by different companies uh, on the platform integrated in less than 10 minutes pretty seamlessly for, for the end consumer. If you think about to deploy a software like that, even 10 years ago, just night, night yeah. and day, um, just really, really fortunate. So I know that that's a great answer, Rich. Jay, do you have anything to, to add on to that, giving customers those choices? Maybe it's the choice of which upsell product they, they want to take or or anything like that with, with some of the products that uh, that Bold offers, whether it's Bold Brain or anything on your end to really drive more retention for uh, that customer experience. If it's specifically around retention, <clears throat> I think the three that I would highlight are um, customer pricing, 
loyal, bold loyalties and, and bold memberships. Um, the three, so the first one's also called bold customer pricing, which, um, but essentially those three apps, um, customer pricing, what it allows you to do is offer basically custom pricing based off how customers shop. So if they buy one time, you can lock them in at a different price level. If they spend X amount, you can lock them in a different price label. If you apply any tag to a customer, it can put them in at a different prices. So a tag can be applied because they bought a certain product. So you can actually sell a product that is called a membership or, or move a product that is slow moving. <clears throat> Maybe you have that high, that expensive espresso machine. So when you buy that, you also get tagged as VIP and now you're going to get 10% off for the rest of the year or forever or mm -hmm. however you want to set it. Um, that's like a, a really simple thing that um, I know I shop online and whenever I buy something and I unlock a little bit of better pricing, I always go back there. Um, and I it's, feel it like feels so nice. It's like that, that old school, you go to a, a diner or something and they give you a free yeah. salad or something and they, they throw it in and it's like, it makes you feel so good. Or um, I think I've said this on a bunch of webinars. I remember I was a kid uh, and my dad was buying some meat from the butcher shop and the guy just handed like a butcher thing and just said, Merry Christmas. And there were just like six pepperettes in it or something. Yeah. And it's just that kind of experience of, you know, what is that lo customer loyalty just as a, as a consumer, knowing that new customers are getting a better deal never feels good. But when you proactively say, hey, thanks so much for being a customer. I'm going to give you friends and family pricing or VIP pricing. It makes you feel good and have that stronger attachment to the brand. And it there's two really good benefits about it too. One is like if you got to always think about your, your CAC, your customer acquisition cost. Mm -hmm. There's a cost to getting. It might cost you 15 or 20% of that initial order to get that customer. And so... As, depending on on your revenue model, if you're able to then now only give 10% off on future orders, you don't have to pay that CAC again. Um, but some people have attribution where like they're losing on the first order and they hope to regain, which I don't think is a smart way to go. But um, if you think about that, that's your customer acquisition cost and just and it gives them the feeling of exclusivity and it doesn't devalue your product too. So I'm not typically uh, a fan of um, even though we have an app that runs sales and we're doing a web on, webinar on it tomorrow, it's it, it, like <laughs> there's a time and a place for sales, right? Like when you have like and Black it Friday, hundred percent. If you're Coke and Pepsi, Coke gets 26 weeks in the flyer. Pepsi gets the other 26 weeks, yeah. but you don't need to have everything on sale all the time because then nothing's on sale and you might as well just highlight everything in the textbook and make it harder to read or harder to purchase. Yeah, totally. And I, and I think like products that you want to clear out, put them on sale and you don't care if you yeah. devalue their value because you're it's 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 an old product and you want to get rid of it. So there's there's a time and place for that. But in general, there's better ways you can uh, give value to your customers without decreasing the price. If it's a if it's a product you don't want to devalue, so that's a, that's a great way to do it. The other one that I think is really um, so we user generated content is becoming the number one driver on social media. And I mean I <laughs> I'm not a big huge. Uh, um, paid marketing person. Um, but I do help a few family members with their Shopify sites and I help them run their, their Facebook ads. And I'll tell you, like <laughs> when we take the, the most pristine polished video that we make for their products and, and put ads on it, you know, it'll get like five or six comments, a little engagement. So we started doing, we're using our, our bold loyalties app. We send an email that goes out after a product gets to the customer. Like two days later, an email goes and says, hey, uh, send us a video. Actually, we got this idea from uh, Chris Mead at CrossNet. And uh, he's, he and he, this is like his number one driver of success. He sends an email and it says, send us a video of you using the product. Um, they have to agree that it can be used in an ad. And he just refunds them $10. He doesn't give them a coupon. He actually just says, well, just refund you 10 bucks back. We do a coupon. We might switch to doing a refund. And then people will send like a video on their iPhone of like, what do you think about the product? And then we use those as Facebook ads and they convert like 10 times better. Um, and it's actually really easy to do. So like loyalty points and if you use bold loyalties, that's awesome. There's a whole bunch of other really good ones out there. Um, smiles, great, swells, great, all of them. But um, don't just think of them as loyalty points. Think of it as ways to reward people for, um, for doing an action. So I think most loyalty apps support a, cu a custom action like tweeting or doing something. So this is, this is like, yeah, this is a custom app action in loyalty points and then it rewards them through it. But 
Um, that's a really, and right now everyone's kind of getting this extra, well, hopefully like not everyone, but a lot of people are getting an extra boost of customers. Um, so to capitalize on that. Um, and then the third one is just that it, we, we have a memberships apps that I think is just one of the most, our most underrated apps um, that people I don't think really realize the power of it, but all it does is like, it lets you control all the content on the website based off of what custom, based off a tag. So they can, you can show or hide products, show or hide prices, show or hide content, blogs, pages. You can change the entire liquid templates. Like you can change your homepage when a, when a member logs in versus a non-member. Um, so even if you don't, even if you don't sell a membership, you can, after a customer buys one, it can tag them and then they see a different homepage when they log in. Or if they buy, they spend a certain amount, they can see a different blog category that's maybe like your pro tips or I don't know. There's a hundred different ways if you're creative, um, but our membership app allows you to do that. It also can charge a membership, but you don't have to do that. You can just control the content. So I don't know, those are three that I would call out. Yeah, I think that's that's awesome. And that's really where it's going that uh, that everything is 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 custom. The future is custom and that bespoke experience and mm -hmm. i i couldn't help but laugh when you were talking about your helping your friends and family members out with your your facebook ads we're, we're working else tech at the christmas what? party it's uh, well, they do I, I feel i don't even know yeah. it looks like here do you work in e-commerce can you help me set up a store it, how it's pretty easy right and it's like that scene from moneyball hey how hard can it be it's incredibly <laughs> difficult <laughs> like hey, hey jay can you help me with your ads are you willing to lose 10 grand just testing it and not get a single sale yeah <laughs> so i think that's that's awesome yeah. Derek, do you want to uh, do you want to take us home here with a couple of other uh, maybe tactics or tools for retention that that maybe we didn't necessarily uh, hit on? Yeah, one thing that I don't we didn't say this buzzword yet, which was authenticity. And if we're thinking about re retention, um, building the relationship starts with understanding what you stand for, and like you know, getting the user generated content, which I, I totally love that that uh, strategy, Jay. It's it, you. You need to have a certain type of audience profile that relates to your your cause and what you're what you're really working towards as a goal. And these days, it has to be more than just we're just trying to get rich. Unless you really like triple down on that or something. I don't know. Some really inspirational <laughs> people could could perhaps yeah, you would almost have to be like ugly drinks. The the anti whatever it is. It's like yeah, it's Tony. And it's funny because I'm wearing a, a Larry David T-shirt for anyone who uh, saw the most <laughs> recent season of Curb Your Enthusiasm. Ah, so much hipster coffee. I just uh, <laughs> come support me. But yeah. You you don't do that because you're not Larry David. You're not ugly drinks. That's that's a horrible way to build a build a business. Yeah. So so finding that cause. So I'll plug a tool on this one, which is uh, one of my my new favorite hottest tools, and I think this is going to be uh, sky like another skyrocketing success. It's called shopping gives it immediately integrates cause marketing into your business and can help you give back uh to your chosen cause and it handles all the logistics and stuff and it's uh it, it's a great tool for that so i'll plug that one so that you can better integrate your cause the causes you believe in and the causes your brand stands for into your business i think it, it, it increases retention and it can customize donations and email sequences to your customers based on the cause that maybe they've selected which which is really great and then I want to bring it back to technology as a whole really quick, which is like just thinking about adding shopping gifts, adding adding bold tools, adding gorgeous, adding Sezzle, adding route, adding all these tools to your stack. There is a cost that we should acknowledge here. It's a it's not just the cost of the tool. We have a small cost in uh, in our resources that have to use and implement this tool on a regular basis in the data that might be siloed when this tool is used. How is that data getting siloed there? And then in like the lost uh maybe there's even like a little there now most tools i'm pretty all of your tools i know do do not affect page speed load time but they affect like what we call technical debt in in some form or, or way it's just like there, there's something being clogged or lost in some cases uh and, and so we want to acknowledge these these costs when we implement a tool because ROI is the goal, and we can see that with each tool pretty clearly, or at least you should have a good understanding of it. But also acknowledging the cost that you can build a roadmap on when to implement a tool. When can I afford to make this investment into the costs? And how long will it take to get a return on investment for that? I think of Gorgeous, it takes like, you know, a month to get set up maybe. I mean, obviously it can be done really quickly, but a month or well, more. There's always a learning curve, just knowing where the buttons are in in something different. There's it, there's always that, that learning 
or where you need to And there's training, there's business process optimization. It changes the fundamentals of how your business is going to work. Route and Sezzle both change those fundamentals a little bit because they change how the user is experiencing that post-purchase process. With Sezzle, they're, they're paying it off in installments. And if you know that user's paying in installments, you should change how you, you know, post-purchase market to them, the activation sequence. And with Route, if they're using the, the Route, uh, the visual tracking tool, you know that they're in that tool tracking your package and you want to maybe you know change how the experience is done via email or any other way. So so acknowledging the the changes that tools create on the environment and on the customer experience uh, all of course very positive changes but require some tweak to the to the business as a, as a fundamental how the business is going to operate and just making sure that you're ready for that and that you know how things are going to change and that'll help you be more successful with technology in general as you implement it on your site hmm. absolutely and i think that that's uh, a great way to to wrap it up where can everyone find you um find the panelists i know that we've had a few questions some of uh some of our panelists are using some of our tools some are, are not using this if they want to check us out uh we will be probably sending an email where you can grab that demo. Uh, I know Sean uh, got the hookup from, from all of us earlier. Let um, everyone know where people can find you if they want a little bit more uh, info. Uh, maybe just everyone put a, a URL or something in the chat box there. Uh, and keep an eye out for our, our follow-up as well. Should we be saying it too? We're all typing it. Any, into the uh, any last... <laughs> We, it's we, easy to read it than hear it. But if you put this on the podcast, no one will see that, right? That's true. <laughs> this awkward silence. Um, <laughs> You'll never find us. Yeah, we're we're the self, the covert operations of e-commerce. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but you can find Jay over at boldcommerce.com. Uh, you can find Kevin over at Sezzle. That's S-E-Z-Z-L-E.com or Z for our listeners south of the border. Kevin dot while at sizzle.com you can find rich at root.com or route depending on your pronunciation and uh myself lucas at gorgeous we do have one quick question here or a comment from aaron we're small and currently focusing <laughs> on the unboxing experience and personal service i receive all content uh contact from customers and reply personally love all your ideas will definitely help us grow by the way i'm close to 60 years old and i had to look at most of the jargon uh you use in the beginning awesome awesome to hear aaron uh and i apologize for using too much technical <laughs> jargon I'll, uh, I'll i'll take uh the blame on that one yeah by the way aaron is the dollar shave club for women i i think right aaron, oh cool that's what it was essentially which i think is there's a big niche uh market there so I love it. Oh, oh. absolutely. Smart. Really cool. Uh, one thing that is great points. Keep filling it in congrats. Awesome. Thank you. Uh, thank you so, so much. If you did find it valuable, uh, I know I always appreciate people downloading our content, share the podcast with them so that they can uh, hear it as well and really appreciate it. I'm going to hit the end webinar button now, unless anyone has anything else they want to uh, wrap it up with. Thanks for having me. Perfect. Thanks. Good to be here. Awesome. Thanks, Thanks everyone. Take care. Bye.